You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to Maximize Your Hunt, the podcast dedicated to those who want the most out of their hunting property. This podcast explores land management, habitat improvement, and hunting strategies that will help you maximize your time in the field. Follow along as industry professionals that live and breathe white-tailed deer share their secrets to success. And now, the founder of Whitetail Landscapes, your host, John Teeter. Hi, I'm John Teeter with Whitetail Landscapes. This is Maximize Your Hunt. You know, I'm happy to bring another recurring guest on here, Anthony Barnum. For those that don't know Anthony, he's been a staple in the hunting industry. He's really been one of my go-to people that I've talked to for years about hunting gear and uh, he's been an outdoor writer for numerous magazines. He's an engineer by trade. He's done a ton of bow testing, crossbow testing, just equipment. He's a gear guru, in my opinion, and I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. I know this podcast is mostly focused to land improvement, and uh, I think you know equipment and gear kind of goes hand in hand with just having a good hunting experience, and I really believe that's important to the overall equation of a successful hunt. You know, Anthony is uh, a New York guy, and uh, you know I'm a New York guy, and really, we've have built a friendship over the years, and I've learned a lot from him. He's extremely analytical, and he's really got a lot to contribute and uh, provide. Um, we're not going to talk about gear in this particular podcast today, but we're going to get into some of the, the minutia and details of just his experience in owning land, and I think it'll relate to a lot of individuals that, that want to buy land or have inherited land, and uh, I think we can relate to, uh, to Anthony quite a bit. So uh, uh, I'd like to bring Anthony on the show. Hey, Anthony, are you there? Yeah, John, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. I can hear you good. Hey, welcome, man. Uh, I'd like you to uh, obviously introduce yourself uh, as you know as quickly as you can. I gave a little background, and uh, I'd like to get into some of the topics uh, of land ownership with you. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm Anthony Barnum. I'm an engineer by trade, as, as John mentioned a little bit earlier. I've been uh, working in the defense industry for Oh, geez, going on uh, 15 years now um, as an engineer, uh, mostly with a uh, mechanical and systems engineering background. I've also been um, working in the uh, the hunting industry as an equipment uh, evaluator uh, for several magazines since the 2006-2007 uh, timeframe. 
really the, the goal of uh, my writing and, and the testing that I do is to provide, you know, objective, you know, no BS measurements of key characteristics of uh, equipment that, that uh, you know, most bow hunters and, and hunters in general uh, use uh, on a regular basis. So that's kind of been the, the key to uh, my success in, in that space, um, you know, really diving into, you know, vibration and sound output and other objective measurements that, uh, you know, archery equipment in particular um, it produces. So, that's kind of the key to me. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think you have a lot to contribute when we start getting into the gear. And it's funny, you know, I, I'm flipping the switch because you and I have talked so much over the years about hunting strategies. And I mean, you, you were with me when I bought my piece of property. You pushed me to buy my piece of property, and you know, I've always been grateful for your input. And I think you have a lot of insight to provide. You know, outside of just the gear portion of of you know your 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 area of expertise. You know, let's get let's get into some of the background with you. You know, you've uh, you live in central New York. You've got land down in western New York. Uh, you don't have to say exactly where it is so people don't follow you. Uh, but you know, let's talk a little bit about you know your journey in this land ownership game because to me, I think buying land for a lot of people is is difficult to do either budgetary wise time-wise leasing is obviously an option for a lot of people or just asking you know knocking on doors by permission or hunting public but you've been fortunate to have land and you you inherited some property so maybe give a little background on that yeah i'm, I'm definitely very fortunate to uh, have inherited property and, and to also have been able to uh, purchase new property on my own um so you know back in the, the 50s um i bought a, a farm that's you know about uh, about 100 acres, I think at the time, it was maybe 110 acres, give or take, 115, something like that. Um, they sold off a, a couple of small parcels over time that uh, we've been attempting to get back. But in, in 2013, um, I inherited uh, half of the, the property. And, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, that means that I own... I own half the property. Um, I pay half the taxes on it, and um, you know the rest is is uh, with my dad at, at this point. So, yeah, I mean, really, really fortunate to have that property. That's what I grew up hunting, so I, I know it like the the back of my hand. But you know, over time, there's certainly been some some changes to the property, as as you would expect. Um, you know, without uh, you know uh, critical management to pieces being implemented and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, that, that 96 and a half acres, you know, we've, we've got about 20 acres of, you know, lowland swamp that really holds the deer. We've got uh, some, some crop fields on there as well. You know, another 20 acres, uh, give or take that uh, gets planted into a rotation of corn and beans. And then, uh, the rest is, uh, timberland. The last harvest of, of, uh, marketable timber was done in 2013, just before I, I took over, uh, you know, that half ownership. So, that portion, portion of the property um, had a lot of uh, good oaks, uh, still quite a good uh, stand of uh, red oaks left that uh, will have to be harvested, you know, probably in the next uh, five or 10 years. And, um, you know, overall, it, you know, with, with that harvest in, in the 2013 timeframe, uh, we've seen uh, the ability of, of the property to hold uh, land, hold deer and, you know, have, have deer bedding on it uh, quite a bit more than, than uh, what it did previously. So that, that's uh, nothing but good things for the property. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And, you know, it's interesting, you, you kind of, you were fortunate that you came into land ownership. You know, your dad, you know, was the, was the previous owner. And I think there was another family member in the mix. And, you know, you were able to inherit this land, but obviously with land comes responsibility. And uh, now you're responsible for taxes, which in New York, if anybody knows, 
recreational land is not cheap to own. Uh, that probably one of the limitations we have, uh, and and certainly something that that I struggle with personally. You know that it's a it's a difficulty. You know when when you have land, but you've got to continue to pay just to just to keep you know, keep the land in your possession. And then on the flip side of it, you know, you've taken a hands-on approach to managing the property, running chainsaws, planting trees. You know, you've really kind of been in the minutia and the details of making sure the property is productive. But, you know, I know you've experienced some you know, difficulties because it's hard getting family members on the same page. You know, sometimes somebody will be committed and next thing you know, they're, well, I, I don't care, you know, about what I originally said. I just want to enjoy the woods. I want to be out there as much as I can. I'm not going to hunt strategic. And I know you had some of those pitfalls with, with your family members and that could be difficult. Uh, maybe could, you could unpeel that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, with with this inherited property, you know, it, it's not just my own. You know, it is inherited, so you know, family members and and um, you know others are still able to use the property. And you know, we aren't necessarily all on the same page when it comes to strategy and you know, making sure that we're we're hunting smart and, and minimizing impact to deer and, and not letting them know that we're there. And that's just you know that that's kind of. Kind of the deal with joint ownership or you know even a legacy or, or inherited property like that you know so while i pay you know pay the taxes others still get to use it and and that's absolutely fine you know i didn't i didn't pay for the property yes i'm, I'm paying the recurring costs in, in the, the form of taxes i'm also you know putting blood sweat and tears into the property uh with number of projects uh, that, that we've undertaken to uh you know try to you know make it more uh huntable and more productive but you know, at the end of the day, it's a family property, and uh, others others are able to use it uh, just as much as me. So, like I said, with that, you know, comes some uh, frustration uh, with with others not being on the same page necessarily. Um, you know, not hunting the, the way that I would, and, and that's not to say that you know the way that I hunt is is the best way to hunt or um, the only way to hunt. Uh, you know, others just do things differently, and. You know, like I said, that, that does cause some frustration because, you know, I have my way of doing things and, and others don't necessarily follow that protocol. Um, that doesn't mean that they aren't successful either. Uh, you know, they, they put uh, they put deer on the ground every year and, uh, you know, if the goal is to fill the freezer, uh, they're certainly successful at that. So, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, I have longer term goals for this property that um, that hopefully will come to uh, fruition. And, you know, it's just a, a matter of uh, slowly turning folks to uh, the direction that uh, I think it needs to go. And and I think I can accomplish that over time. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting because, you know, having opportunities with, with, you know, with family members is great. And those experiences are, you know, far more important. We've had those conversations over the years. It's like, you want to have a, you want to have the opportunity to appreciate things, and when you do it with other people, it just becomes more meaningful. At the same time, there's kind of these selfish goals or focus points that we have where we want to achieve something. You know, you and I are on the same page in a lot of cases. I mean, we're analyzing deer at the same rate. We're looking at things. I mean, you're a data guy just like me, and I'm always collecting information and looking and analyzing, making decisions where. Some people just want to run and gun or just, again, experience the outdoors. And, and you're kind of weighing those different, you know, different uh, techniques. But at the same time, it can be frustrating. And in my opinion, when you, you experience those things and you don't achieve the goals that you expected originally, you might have to make some other decisions. And, you know, either it's, you know, purchasing other land or leasing other land or, or um, you know, abandoning the project altogether. Now, your property is some distance away, and I've pushed you, and I said, buy land local. Uh, you won't listen to me, yep. and, and I completely, <laughs> I get it, I get it. 
you know, the hunting is not nearly as as uh, productive, I would say, in central New York as, as it compared to western New York. And uh, I completely understand that. You know, my farm is, you know, my family farms down in Allegheny County, which is a, a really good county, just like Steuben County. And I've really kind of struggled, you know, with not having those opportunities anymore and just being centrally located. I'm close to my house. You have kids, and that's another factor in this whole equation. Being away from your kids, or, or now your kids are getting a little bit older, you can bring your oldest son with you. You know, that that's changes the dynamic a little bit more. So you're almost having to remove yourself from those surrounding goals where, you know, you want to kill the biggest buck in the neighborhood, and you've got all these does you want to kill. I mean, you're now focused on other people. Uh, and I really think that's one of the things that, you know, I've related well to you because I have, I have kids coming up and I think it's more of a, uh, a strategy where you may have to put some of those short-term, you know, focus points off because long-term you will more than likely inherit and own the entire property and have more of a say on what goes on and, and kind of employ, you know, specific strategies. But you also don't want to turn your kids off to, you know, exactly, you know, <laughs> you know, hunting as a whole. And uh, if you're very regiment like me where, all right, Tristan is my son's name's Tristan. You've got to take a shower. Your clothes have to be, you know, pristine, you know, those boots stay in that container. And it, it just becomes not so fun when everything is so regulated and, and so controlled and every move is already thought out. And, and, uh, you know, I just kind of add that discussion to it because I think that that's a point that you and I have probably talked about and you've really kind of just had to adapt and say, you know, we've got to figure out this because I want my kids to enjoy it. I want them to, you know, uh, be connected with the outdoors. And I'm not so worried about what my, my dad or stepmom or, or brother or sister are doing on the landscape because it's just not something I really have any real control over. So what you, you know, what, you know, I, I just piled on a lot there, but in your, in your current situation you've bought more land and that land is near your your family property that that your your co-ownership on but it's not it's not directly connected but you've you've purchased some more acreage yeah absolutely so i guess to to start out with you you have definitely pushed me to buy something locally and you know i'm I'm constantly keeping my eyes out for you know something that's affordable uh, you know within half an hour of uh, where i live in the, the central new york area but, you know, it, when it came, comes down to it, came down to it at the time, you know, the, the cost of uh, purchasing land in, in central New York is substantially more than, than it is, uh, you know, where, where my family land is and where I've, I've uh, bought property. So, yeah, the, the property that I purchased, and I originally purchased about 16 and a half acres um, you know, within a half a mile of uh, my family property in 2014. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to add an adjacent uh, parcel, about uh, 11 or or 12 acres um, right next to that in uh, 2019. So I've got about 28 and a half acres, uh, give or take. It's, uh, like I said, within half a mile of the the family property. And, you know, that's really been, you know, a nice spot for me to, you know, try out some of of the ideas um, that I have for, you know, managing the the property and minimizing pressure and that sort of thing. I have full control of uh, that acreage, you know, minus, uh, you know, the the things that uh, my wife uh, wants to do on that property and, and, you know, having walking trails. And and But uh, for the most part, I have, um, I have full control over what goes on that property, uh, goes on on that property, especially from a, a hunting perspective. And, you mentioned uh, the kids, you know, so I, I have four children. Uh, my oldest is uh, 13 years old. He uh, started bow hunting in the 
season last year. Um, he was able to, with, with changes in uh, New York regulations, he was able to uh, gun hunt for deer for the first time this year. And, um, you know, I'm really trying to foster that interest in, in hunting and, and, you know, really pass that on to the next generation. Um, fortunately, he's been able to take deer um, both years that he's been uh, hunting. He, he took a, a deer with his bow um, when he was 12 years old, his, his first year uh, bow hunting. And uh, this year he was able to uh, take his first buck with a bow and his first uh, buck with a rifle um, uh, all in Steuben County. So, you know, I, I really think that uh, he's enjoying uh, hunting. Um, you know, he's he's kind of in a target-rich environment. You know, whatever he wants to shoot, whenever he wants to shoot it, as long as it's legal, um, he has the opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, while the, the bucks that he took are not anything that I would shoot, you know, I've been hunting for a lot longer than him. And, you know, I, I'm of the opinion that, um, you know, he should shoot uh, whatever he wants uh, get as, as many deer under his, his belt as he can to, you know, just experience what it's like to shoot a deer and, and get over the, the jitters and the, you know, the buck fever um, you know, sort of thing. So, um, you know, he's he's really done well. And, uh, you know, that that has been my focus over the past couple of years, making sure that he has a good time. You know, he's seeing deer. He has the opportunities at, at deer and, um, you know, really trying to, to foster that, uh, that love of hunting in, in the next generation. Yeah boy that uh you know is 11 years old now he'll be 12 years old uh, next fall um so he'll be he'll be following in uh his, his brother's footsteps I, I hope you know he really shows a, a keen interest in hunting he wants to go out with me as as much as he can and you know again i, I think my focus will be you know next year on, on getting him on deer and making sure that uh, he's enjoying himself yeah that's that's uh that's a great transition for me and thinking a little bit more about the future and taking kind of that selfish attitude and pushing it aside and, you know, really kind of like fostering this, this love for the outdoors. So I want to kind of break down your property a little bit and get into your neighborhood setting. I want to focus on the 30 acres because, you know, this is the land that you're able to really control, manipulate and enhance. You know, I haven't physically been on your property. We've exchanged information Heck, I think we need to draw it out and uh, come up with a plan. Maybe you'd be a, a good test case to show, you know, listenership how we uh, how we break it down and come up with, uh, you know, kind of this optimized property. But you you're going through some changes. We've talked about uh, logging opportunities and uh, looking at the landscape on a smaller scale than blowing it up and having a big picture view. But you're really only dealing with 30 acres, and I know you got a ton of hunting pressure around you even though you're probably in one of the better counties in, in New York state, you know, you've experienced very high pressure situations and you react well to those. You're not holding a lot of deer in 30 acres, but they transition through there quite a bit. You know, you've had some really, you know, I think really quality deer in that area. You had a deer a few years ago that you and I talked about. It was the G2 buck and you know, that buck was in the one sixties. And, you know, if you weren't so, uh, uh, focused on making sure that you were in trespasser mode that day. I think you would have yeah. killed that giant buck. Uh, I think, you know, you've had opportunities. And again, you've got a couple hour drive to the hunting property. You know, it makes it a little bit more difficult, but you're going to kind of go on this journey of focusing on and micromanaging this this particular area. Can, can you break down, you know, your roughly 30 acre property as it stands today and talk about you know, what efforts you've got going into it. I know you put a road in. I know you've cut some trails, loggers coming in. You've marked trees. Kind of go through the process where you're at today. 
Yeah, so when I originally bought the um, the first parcel, the 16 uh, acres, give or take, um, in, in 2014, you know, kind of the, the first thing I did was, you know, I, I hunted it uh, for a year. I actually had permission to hunt it you know, the year before I bought it. Um, and then I, I hunted it uh, one more year just to kind of see uh, how deer were uh, using the property. After that, you know, I had surveyors come through and, and make sure that, uh, you know, the boundaries were, were flagged uh, appropriately. And then I, I started cutting in uh, access trails. So um, the, the property lays out, you know, mostly north to south. And, uh, you know, so I cut in uh, access trails on the east and west side, you know, really kind of focused on minimizing uh, my scent going into the center of the property when I was accessing it uh, to hunt. So. You know, I had stands set up on, on the perimeter, um, had very, very uh, limited um, access to the center of the property. So uh, you really didn't set up stands in, in those locations. But yeah, I mean, the, the first thing I did was cut those access trails. And and honestly, that's probably the best bang for my buck, um, you know, of, of the projects that I've uh, done so far. You know, just having good access on the perimeter of the property where, you know, I can minimize scent in, in uh, disturbance uh, to, toward the center of the property and hopefully, you know, hold, hold deer there, uh, you know, even though it is only 30 acres, um, you know, hold deer there as, as much as I can and, you know, minimize uh, pressure, uh, both visual sound um, as well as scent. Yeah. Anthony, um, Anthony, can you, can you break down a little bit your, your, neighborhood situation and those around you because i think that's i think that's important to talk about you know the pressure around you and and maybe some folks can't relate to that but i I think it's critical because that plays into your strategy yeah absolutely so there are there's man a a bunch of uh landowners around me so this property is actually on a dead end uh abandoned uh, road but you know i guess it to be the, the opener of gun season uh, this year, you know, I think on, you know, 250 acres, give or take uh, around me, we had something on the order of uh, 18 to, to 20 hunters um, in that, uh, that area. And, you know, it, it gets pounded uh, during gun season, especially. Um, there's certainly presence there during archery season, um, but for gun season, you know, it's just, you know, that, that dead end seasonal road uh, that, that isn't maintained is, has traffic up and down it uh, all the time. So tons of, ton of, tons of folks there. And the majority of the, the folks that are in that uh, particular neighborhood are really kind of, you know, brown, it's down uh, kind of people. You know, they're there for, you know, opening weekend, maybe, uh, you know, the full opening week. And, you know, they, they really want to get their deer, their, their meat for the year. And, and you know, it, it's fully legal, more power to them. You know, as long as they're doing things legally, I really don't have a complaint. The, uh, the issue, the frustration that I have is, you know, I only have 30 acres. So the deer that I'm passing uh, pretty quickly go on to other properties. And, you know, that, that causes some frustration when you've got good uh, you know, one or two year old up and comers that in, in a couple of years are really going to going to be something, you know, when they uh, they get killed uh, by the neighbors because, you know, it's the first buck that, that they've seen and, um, you know, they, they want to put meat in the freezer. Again, you know, I, I can't fault them for hunting the, the way that they do, you know, that that's just what they've, uh, they've always done. And, um, you know, it's again, completely legal. They're stoked for, uh, for being able to harvest those deer. And, and I'm happy that uh, they're able to put those deer on the ground and, and uh, you know, achieve their goals. 
Uh, it just, you know, for, for me in, in what I'm looking for out of the hunt and, you know, kind of the, the longer term goals that I have, you know, making, making that, uh, that area, you know, hold, you know, older age class deer, not necessarily the biggest racks because, you know, our, our, our genetics and, and even our uh, nutrition in that area isn't, uh, isn't the greatest, you know, it's certainly not bad, but, but not the greatest, you know, having, having those older deer, uh, is really my goal in, in being able to, uh, to tangle with those older deer, you know, push myself to, uh, to learn them and uh, use the information that I gather through uh, observations and trail cameras to, you know, try to, to get on those deer. Yeah. It's just, you know, unfortunate that uh, some of those, uh, so some of those bucks can't make it to the older age class due to the, the pressure in the area. But, you know, what I'm describing there, tons of people, you know, deal with that all the time. And, you know, it's just part of, uh, part of how things go, especially in, in New York and, in you know, other uh, hunter dense uh, states. So, and even with that, you know, I've still had some really great deer on the property. You alluded to the, the G2 buck that uh, was shot um, 2016. That was, you know, a 10-point push in 170 inches. I think he'd scored out at uh, 167. You know, that's a deer that I followed for several years. He was a, a mainframe 8-point for uh, three years prior to the year that he was shot. And, uh, you know, what the year that he was shot, he became a 10-point with a few kickers, a total of uh, 13 scorable points. Um, I've also had, uh, you know, a four-year-old uh, 10 point with a couple of kickers uh, on the property and then a uh, seven plus year old uh, eight point with uh, a split G2 that, uh, that I had on the property, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, all three of those deer that I just mentioned, those were shot uh, on properties within, you know, one half to, to a, a mile away that, you know, again, that's just kind of the, the nature of, of things uh, in, in that area and, and only owning uh, 30 acres there. You know, deer don't live on my property all the time. I, I do hold uh, some does at, at this point, but, you know, they, they tend to travel a lot. And, uh, you know, with that, they cross a number of different uh, property lines and, um, you know, end up getting shot. Yeah, it's a gauntlet. And uh, it's interesting because you, you brought up a lot of really good points. Uh, and I'll start with, you know, a lot of these states are kilobox states. And uh, I'll say that in a in little bit of a, a, a comical standpoint, because, you know, up you know, the upraising that I had was shoot your deer, shoot your buck. It wasn't shoot your deer, shoot your deer. And, you know, I wish my, my family members understood what the, what the protocol really should have been was, you know, get used to shooting deer, but, you know, look at the herd um, and look at what the herd is uh, today and try to balance the herd. I wish I had learned that a long time ago. You know, you and I are teaching our kids that, uh, but I didn't grow up that way. And in your area, again, an oppressive thing is you've got some areas that, uh, you know, that maybe there's less hunting pressure. But if you just did the rough math, you know, you're pushing 40, 50 so hunters per square mile in that kind of equation that you had laid out there. And sometimes when you buy a, a piece of land, you know, you may not know exactly the, the volume of hunting pressure. Now, you had a chance to evaluate that and you were OK with that. And uh, I think it was a good kind of an experiment for you. And I've always been impressed by the, the quality of deer that you've had, although you, you've degraded it and said it's, you know, the genetics are, uh, the nutrition's, uh, you know, when you come to some of the areas that I've been on and properties that I work with, you know, you are more of on the, the top end of that. And on the same time, even though that you're having difficulties and you're a few hours away, you really kind of look at the property with a fine tooth comb and focus, you know, magnifying glass focus on 
really some key aspects of the property when you're designing it. We'll talk about that in a second, but I give you a lot of credit for holding out and and pushing yourself to still, you know, keep you know, keep your expectations in check, but holding out for the deer that you had hoped for. And you know, you know me, it's like strategic SWAT operation. Every step is is counted. Uh, every move is evaluated. Uh, you do the same thing. You're going on your property with a plan to achieve something. And it's really kind of a hard equation to do when you have all these outside factors uh, impacting uh, you know, your hunting property. And when you, you're, again, you're a 30-acre 30, uh, 30 landowner, you know, these deer's uh, core ranges and home ranges are, are, are vary, and they vary seasonally. And, you know, there's strategy that goes into what deer you shoot and what, what deer you don't shoot. But, of course, you know, you're kind of hoping for misses from the neighbors. And, you know, you're sitting there, I'm sure you're sitting there, you know, opening day of gun season or, or you know, anytime during the year. And, you, and you're hoping they're not as strategic as you. You're hoping they're not as planned out as you. You know, you can hunt people any day of the week, but you, you can't out-property people. And certainly people that have larger uh, land ownership or manage property in a, a different way than you, you have to kind of compete with those uh, individual landowners. So what you're doing is you're optimizing as many inches of that property as you can, and it becomes almost a, a place for the deer, not a, not necessarily a place for hunting in some cases. And you're smart with your pressure frequency of hunting. And I really kind of give you a lot of credit for that. But again, I give you a lot of credit for keeping those standards high and trying to achieve something that I think a lot of people uh, would say, well, you know, this property isn't as good uh, and, and, you know, I'm going to sell it. You're, you're kind of sticking with it. And uh, I think you share a lot of information with your neighbors. And I, I think behaviorally that's helpful because I've noticed this. When I exchange information with my neighbors, there definitely becomes an interest level of what is he doing differently than I'm doing or, you know, Maybe they're they're interested in, in my philosophy on hunting or or what I'm trying to get out of the property, and I'm totally willing to share with adjacent neighbors, even if they don't have the same goals as me. And I know you do that on on your property, and I think that again speaks to uh, your approach. But you know, for for more of the details, let's get into your next steps because you're you're jumping in this property. I know that you've uh, marked some timber. I believe soon you're going to have a logger coming out. And uh, you're going to have some work done, and then you've got really some post, you know, post harvest work that you've got to do. What's your what's your next steps with this piece? Yeah, so absolutely, we we do have a, a logging operation planned for uh, this this upcoming winter, you know, winter of uh, 2022. So we're, we're scheduled to have the logger come in uh, shortly after the first of the year to uh, harvest, you know, some of the the marketable trees that we have on there. There are. Uh, you know, quite a few red oaks, uh, a lot of uh, hard and, and soft maple. And some, uh, actually, we have some uh, you know, pretty big uh, white pine on there that, uh, you know, there's some interest in as well. So uh, right now, the, you know, kind of uh, the, the timber market in New York is uh, is doing pretty well. Even if, you know, they're not veneer type logs and, and trees and that sort of thing, there's still a, a pretty, uh, pretty strong market for you know, for kind of the suppressed timber, uh, if you will, you know, the, the timber that isn't veneer quality, but, you know, is, is mature and, and uh, needs to be taken out. So fortunate that uh, the market is what it is right now. And uh, also fortunate to, to have built a, a pretty good relationship with um, the logger that that's uh, coming in to do the work. And uh, this has been, you know, kind of a, a long time coming, you know, originally, uh, 
began uh, talking about logging uh, a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, about this time last year, uh, started the, the relationship and in conversation with the loggers who's coming in to do the work and um, couldn't couldn't make things line up um, this this past year. You know, we were originally targeting the, the spring of uh, 2021. And, you know, for those in, in New York, uh, they, they can remember, you know, we had a, a pretty uh, wet spring, pretty wet summer. It's been a wet fall. Um, you know, so getting logging equipment onto the property uh, you just really didn't work out. And uh, he ended up being backed up with uh, other jobs that were uh, supposed to be coming before me anyway. And, um, you know, due to due to the weather, uh, he wasn't able to get through those jobs. And uh, ultimately, we had to push that off in, until this winter. And I really think that's going to be uh, to my benefit and to the benefit of the property, you know, once we get uh, a hard freeze in the ground, it, you know, I think the uh, the disruption due to the logging equipment uh, will be less, you know, fewer ruts, uh, less compaction, uh, that sort of thing. Yep. So um, I think uh, I think that the logging will end up, uh, you know, going really well for us. And, you know, the, the whole goal of this logging um, operation is to get more sunlight to the ground. Um, you know, I've got Half of the property is, you know, kind of old field, you know, successional growth. And then the other half is uh, kind of more mature uh, hardwoods, in, including the oaks and, and maples that I mentioned before. And, you know, my goal for that portion of the property is just, you know, get as much sunlight to the ground as, as I possibly can, get, uh, you know, browse and forbs and, and um, you know, other vegetation growing up uh, more at, at deer level, um, you know, four feet and below that uh, will provide cover and uh, invaluable um, food resources, especially for our hard winters. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. And and we're already experiencing a difficult winter right, right now. And I I think it's, you know, again, uh, this is going to be something that we'll hit on another podcast of how to get your deer to survive the winter. But, you know, in your situation, you've got a diverse set of trees. Obviously you're worried about the soil structure and the timing of logging, I think is really critical based upon your soil type. And for those that uh, listened to a prior podcast, we talked a little bit about soil type. Soil is obviously meaningful. If you have uh, soil that erodes easily or you have soil, in this case, you've got a lot of, um, I think it's, it's a, I'm not sure exactly your soil type, now that I'm thinking about it, but I know there's a lot of wet areas. And of course, disturbance yes. is definitely going to be something you're trying to minimize. So you've got to have a really hard freeze or really a dry summer. And of course, in your case, based on the oaks, it'd be better to cut in the wintertime. Uh, Oak will, of course, uh, but definitely focusing on, you know, timing is critical for logging operations and strategic cuts. Uh, There's a couple strategies. I think you're doing some select cut or group cuttings in areas. And of course, you're going to get based upon your, you know, south aspect or what aspect you have in your property, you're going to get you know, more regeneration. And of course the quality of soil plays all into that equation and stratifying or, or in this case, you know, disturbing the soil is going to help actually get those things going. Um, you know, compacted soils, of course, uh, support certain plant species. So just have awareness of that when you do have a logging operation come in. And sometimes, you know, I was talking to a, a land client not too long ago, you know, he had this uh, strategic operation laid out and he was going to have, you know, this type of cutting technique, come into play. And I was really okay with the traditional style where, you know, logger fell trees and he, he's winching them out to a designated 
trail site and uh, everything was kind of in arm's reach. And I really kind of like that philosophy instead of a machine getting right in there and creating more compaction. So, you know, sometimes you give up efficiency, but you, you take the traditional route as long as the timing is good. So that's a recommendation for any landowner out there. Anthony, anything else that you kind of want to end with? And I, I really think one of the things I found interesting to you is you're always on the hunt for more land. And uh, I can relate to that 100%. Sometimes I feel like an opportunist, you know, talking to clients and, you know, working with adjacent landowners and, and thinking about, wow, I really like to get into this, you know, this cohort or these with these individuals to help, you know, enhance and develop a property. You know, you've talked about expanding your 30 acres or buying land in, a, you know, either adjacent parcels or some distance away. You know, where are you kind of at right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities to purchase more land. I think my my biggest restriction right now is the budget. Um, you know, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned to you in the past. You know, I've got uh, champagne tastes on a on a beer budget right now. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think a, a lot of people can relate to that. But you know, I do have my eye on uh, several different parcels. Um, you know, some of them, you know, kind of verbally up for sale. Certainly not on the market. Others you know, not on the market and it may never sell in, in my lifetime, but um, it would be great to have to, uh, you know, continue to add to our property and, and, you know, enhance our longer term success. You know, some of those, those parcels are immediately adjacent to, you know, the, the family property that, that we originally started talking about. Others are you know, on the, the same road or even immediately adjacent to uh, the 30 acres that I own. And, and then others are, um, a bit further away, you know, one one piece of property I have my eye on is, uh, you know, six, eight, ten miles away from uh, from the 30 acres that I own. Um, but it happens to be in a, a really great neighborhood. You know, there's a number of folks that are kind of uh, letting younger bucks go and, and are waiting for older, uh, more mature bucks, um, you know, when when they're uh, out there out there hunting. And, um, you know, I do have permission on a parcel in that area. And, you know, the, the, uh, the number of, of uh, nice bucks in the area is, is, uh, is great. You know, it's certainly, certainly better than um, on my family property as, as well as my 30 acres. So, you know, I guess that's, that's another consideration for folks who are uh, considering uh, buying property. You know, you've got to look at your neighborhood. You know, I'm I'm happy with my 30 acres. I think there's a lot of potential there in um, you know the the relationships that I'm uh, that I have built and continue to build with my neighbors. You know, may end up uh, you know turning folks uh, more toward you know letting those younger bucks walk and and you know targeting the two year olds or three year olds or, or older and, and maybe uh, even older than that um, over time. But if you can get yourself into a, a neighborhood that's already established uh, with that mentality, um, you know you're your path to success in, in achieving your goals may end up being quicker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I guess the, the last thing I want to say is that, you know, even though there is, uh, you know, frustrations associated with land ownership, you know, not having everybody on the same page with uh, your goals and, and um, you know, things that, that you want for the property, you know, whether that's, you know, other family members on family property or your neighbors on uh, properties around yours, you know, land ownership is is absolutely worth it. You know, it is your your own piece of ground. Um, yes, you know, in New York, uh, taxes are um, are you know extremely high, uh, especially when compared with uh, you know some other states in the Midwest and, and that sort of thing. 
but the barrier to entry in, in owning land, you know, per acre price uh, in Steuben County, Allegheny County, you know, other uh, other you know, kind of big bucks uh, type type of counties is relatively low when you compare um, you know property prices to the Midwest. The recurring costs associated with taxes uh, certainly substantially more. But you know, once you once you jump in. You, know, you can basically look at it as you know you're you're renting the property and in, in the the privilege to uh, to hunt it uh, when you pay that tax bill <laughs> every year, but it, it's absolutely worth it even even due to those frustrations. You know there are things that you can uh, do to that property that uh, you know obviously you wouldn't be able to if, if you didn't uh, own it. Um, you know that that logging operation that I mentioned a few minutes ago. You know one of those things that if I didn't own property, I'd never be able to do that. And you know. It's certainly not a magic bullet, though. You know, it, just because you own your own property and now you have private land, you know, you're no longer hunting uh, public land where everybody has access. You know, it, there's still a lot of work that uh, is involved in achieving success. And you know, my goal uh, for that 30-acre piece that I uh, now own is to shoot a mature buck, you know, four years old or, or older, uh, on that property. And uh, so far, I haven't achieved it. You know, I've, I've owned uh, a portion of that property since 2014. So we're going on seven, eight years, and I still haven't achieved that goal. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to work hard and, and you know, implement, um, you know, a, a bunch of uh, different projects to help me achieve it. And ultimately, I, I know I'll be successful. It's just a, a matter of uh, putting in the work, being disciplined, and, you know, letting the young bucks walk so I can uh, achieve those goals. Yeah, no, that's that's a great ending, Anthony. And I, I appreciate you sharing your personal property with us and uh, your achievements over the years. You've been a very successful hunter. You know, there's no doubt about that. And you've got a lot of expertise and experience. You know, for, of course, we're going to be focusing on deer with you going or gear, excuse me, going forward. But we'll still we'll still probably ask you, you know, where you're at with your project, because I think uh, those sagas and, and bits of information are always interesting to learn what went wrong, what went right. What would you do over? I, I kind of always like those learning bits. So I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully in the next podcast, we dig into some equipment and, and choice selections. I think that will be helpful. Right. And I, I think that'll be a, a great conversation. So appreciate you being on the podcast, Anthony. Uh, looking forward to talking again. All right. Thanks, Johnny. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Maximize Your Hunt is a production of Whitetail Landscapes. For more information on how John Teeter and his team of experts can help you maximize your hunt, check out whitetaillandscapes.com.